we're going to be looking at a message entitled The Two Wisdoms. And we're going to be finishing off this third chapter of the book of James. Uh, we only have, after today, we have four more Sundays before the grade change. Uh, before eighth graders, you move on up to high school and you're like, Joel, why do you keep reminding us? Well, I want to remind you for a couple different reasons, okay? Uh, I want to remind you so that it doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks when it happens. Uh, you know, we really want to encourage you, as much as you maybe have been involved in junior high, we want you to be involved in the high school ministry. Uh, there are, it, of course, it's different. There's high schoolers, and this is junior high, uh, but they're doing similar things where they're teaching God's word. Of course, there's a different leadership, different pastor, uh, but this is good. Uh, this is a part of maturing, and we're excited for you eighth graders who have been learning God's word uh, here in this place over the last couple years, and then we'll be able to continue on and grow in your spiritual maturity. Uh, but just want to encourage you, you know, not to drop off. For whatever reason, you know, there's only a hallway that separates us in high school ministry. But for whatever reason, there are times when eighth graders feel intimidated by going to high school. Uh, I don't know why, because if you ever meet Pastor Shadrach, there's not too much intimidating about him. He's a super funny, loving guy uh, that, that will welcome all of you guys in there. Uh, no reason to be nervous or scared to go in there or just like, ah, I'm just going to start going to the main. No, don't go to the main. You'll have that time, but, but stay in the high school ministry. We need that community, especially as you guys enter high school, uh, where there's a whole nother type of temptation and difficulties that will come your way. And you're going to need the body of Christ, those who experience those things uh, with you. And so uh, that's why I'm kind of, hey, prepping you for that. Uh, additionally, uh, too, for you seventh graders, you guys are going to be the eighth graders in the house, okay? And whether you know it or not, with those incoming sixth graders, you're like, oh, incoming sixth graders. Okay, you were with them last year, okay? Like you were, last year, you were like the sixth graders, they were the fifth graders. So it's not even a class that you should be too unfamiliar with. And so as they come in, they're going to be looking to you where junior high is a new atmosphere, right? It's no longer children's ministry. There's a longer Bible study. It's, it's kind of looking a little bit more like a church regarding the main sanctuary. And there's some differences, right? And so you as a seventh grader uh, who are then will be an eighth grader, you're going to set the tone. When they come in, they ain't going to be looking to each other to know what to do. They're going to be looking to you. Oh, okay, we go and get Bibles during this time. Oh, we actually take notes. Or, oh, this is how we uh, conduct with each other after, after service or before service. Or this is how we worship. And so you guys are going to be that example uh, to that next class coming in. All right? Does that make sense? All right, that's my spiel for the day. All right, James chapter 3. Uh, with that, meaning uh, why I even talked about that in the first place, is we're going to be finishing the book of James before that grade change. We'll have four weeks left after this to go through the last two chapters. But today, we're going to finish chapter 3 talking about wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, who in here thinks that they'd be able to define wisdom? Uh, and you don't have to give me like a perfect Webster dictionary definition, but uh, what, what is wisdom? What would you guys say? Yeah, Lincoln. Having like a certain amount of knowledge. Okay, so Lincoln would say having a certain amount of knowledge. What else? How, how would you define? It's kind of one of those difficult things of like, ah, oh, like I know what it is, but like, how do I define it? What would you say, Ben? Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk, okay. So that would be an, an example maybe of someone who you would say would have wisdom for his young age. Yes, sir. What would you say? 
Okay, so maybe some experience is something that can bring on wisdom, right? And now we're all, yep. Spiritual knowledge. Spiritual knowledge. Okay, yep. Knowledge based off of experience. Yeah. So a lot of these things are maybe examples or things that are included in wisdom, but wisdom is one of those things that's like, okay, actually define it. It's a little bit difficult to do. And I hope to help, help you with that a little bit. You see, the concept of wisdom though is something that is very familiar in scripture. And so we should know what it is and what it looks like. It was wisdom that gave that God gave for the building of the tabernacle and temple in the Old Testament. It wasn't riches, but wisdom that Solomon asked for from God. It was wisdom that Jesus was filled with as he grew as a young boy. We know that in scripture, God says, I am the giver of wisdom. God also says, if you ask me, I will give you wisdom. And, And so there are many other passages on this topic, but what is it? Well, I want you to note a couple things down, okay? To have wisdom is not just to be book smart, but to be street smart. It isn't just to know in your mind, but able to perform in your actions. See, you can have knowledge without wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge, Knowledge is something that's included in wisdom, but wisdom goes beyond knowledge. Meaning that you can, have, you can know something, but not have the wisdom to actually do it or know how to do it. And so there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. It's been said that wisdom is knowing the greatest goal in any situation and the best way to achieve that goal. Knowing the greatest goal in any situation and the best way to achieve that goal. You can write this down. Wisdom is the fitting application of wisdom. Sorry, of knowledge. (laughs) I'll read it again. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. It's to apply what you know. You see, I'll put it to you this way. Knowledge understands that the light is red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves him. You guys see the difference. Uh, It is important that we understand. That's why you could be a very smart person. You could know a lot of things and be a dummy. Hey, you could know a lot of things, but, but be a fool. You see, the opposite of wisdom in the Bible, according to God, is not being dumb, but is being a fool. Meaning that it's not that there's a lack of knowledge, it's that there's a lack of application. It's to know, but not do. Wisdom is something everyone wants and few have. So last week, James started chapter three, talking all about the power of the tongue. You guys remember that? Uh, we talked about the, the influence that the tongue can have. Remember, James gives that warning to teachers saying, hey, you want to teach God's word, but slow your roll because there's going to be that stricter judgment, those higher standards for those who would speak on behalf of God. 
And he goes on to talk about the reason why. He talks about the, the incredible influence that the tongue has for both good and, and evil. He talks about how, how the tongue has this danger of hypocrisy and those different things. You guys remember we talked about that? So he kind of transitions here and goes from the tongue to our actions with a simple question as he talks about wisdom. So let's read it. And we're going to pick up where we left off. If you guys remember, we left off in verse 12. So that means we're going to pick it up in what? 13. In verse 13. And we'll read down to the end of the chapter, which is just five verses. And we'll read down to verse 18 and then we'll study it together. Sound good? Yes? I want to hear from you guys today. Yes. All right. Let's get a little Pentecostal in here. All right. So it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of hypocrisy, uh, sorry, full of mercy, oh my gosh, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. God in heaven, as we talk about this topic of wisdom today, and we move on from just the words that we say and the things that we do, we pray that you'd give us understanding of these two wisdoms, that we would have clarity on what they are and where they come from and the result of them. And Lord, that you would teach us this day by your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, first, he kind of opens this section with that question. All right, look there in verse 13. We find the question, and it's a question that is not posed uh, to be answered, but we see that he answers it right away in the very same verse. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, these are two aspects that everyone would want to consider themselves to be. Everyone wants to consider themselves as wise and understanding. Remember that word wise, this, this word literally means skillful. Uh, it means to be able to discern what to do. We want to be counted as wise people. And of course, with understanding, the idea of understanding here is intelligence. It's the idea of being capable to, to do something, uh, to, to know something. And, and James here says, who is wise and understanding among you? Well, he answers the question. Look there in verse 13. He says, let him, so whoever is wise and understanding, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And so first we learn here that whoever is wise and understanding, it's not going to come from what they say, right? He just talked about the tongue and the power and the importance of that. But now he says, hey, it's not just going to be about saying that you are wise and understanding, that your wisdom is going to come out of your actions. Saying you have wisdom doesn't give you wisdom. It'll be by what you do 
and how you live. He talks about here, it's going to be from a good conduct. And we're told here that these works are going to be done. Notice there at the end of verse 13, in the meekness of wisdom. Everyone say meekness. It's kind of one of those weird words that we don't typically use in our conversation. I doubt you were talking with your parents this morning and they were like, yeah, you know, I was, I was reading this thing about being meek. Like that's not a word that we typically use in our language, but it is an English word. And the word means to be even tempered, meaning it doesn't mean to be so one way or so the other. It's the idea of this balanced humility. It's been said before that meekness uh, is the right use of power. I want you to note that down. Meekness is the right use of power, while wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Meekness and wisdom go together. But we need to make sure that we understand that meekness isn't weakness. Some people think that. Some people think that if you have a demeanor that is rather uh, maybe humble and uh, you don't have this maybe super bright personality or whatever it might be. And, and, and there's just this even temperedness. You're not so far this way and so far that way that people can look at that as a form of weakness. But we know that meekness is power under control. I want you to get in your, your mind a picture of a, a strong, manly Marine, okay? Decked out in in his military clothes, you know, with the different things that might be on his person, whether his weapons, whether his, his uh, you know, tools, uh, in his helmet, with his night vision, whatever it might be. Okay, get that picture in your head and get that, and imagine that Marine going into a fiery uh, building and coming out, okay, with a little tiny newborn baby. So you have this man who is capable of killing, who is trained, uh, one of the most well-trained people in the world, yet in his hands, he is able to hold a precious, fragile baby. That is the picture of meekness. It is to have power, but not use it for selfish game. Jesus was a great example of this. Right? Think about Jesus. Did Jesus not have all power in the world? Yet did he use it for his selfish gain? He didn't. At any time, the Bible says that he could have called down legions from heaven and even forget that. Jesus could have said a word and the people who put him on the cross would have been destroyed and disseminated into eternity. Yet did he use his power in that way? No. Why? Have you ever heard of the phrase meek and mild Jesus? It wasn't because he was weak, but it was because he had this power under control. And you see, true biblical wisdom is not weakness, but it is this power under control. Does that make sense? And so he says that, hey, who is wise and understanding among you? It's going to be shown in this meekness of wisdom. It's going to be shown in their actions. But James doesn't stop there. He goes on to clarify that in this world, there are two types of wisdom. Hence, our title of our message today, the two wisdoms. And so he goes on in this next section in verses 14 through 16 to talk about the first wisdom, which he describes as the wisdom from below. 
We just read this a moment ago. Wisdom from below. We need to understand today that this is our default wisdom. This is what we consider to be the wisdom to go to automatically in our sin-filled nature. Now, the problem with the wisdom from below is the fact that it's wisdom from below. It's the fact of its origin. And so first, he goes in to talk about the wisdom from below. Can anyone guess what the second wisdom that he's going to talk about? Yeah. Yeah, the wisdom from above. Very good, Lincoln, right? So first, we're going to talk about the wisdom from below. And then we still have two verses before the end of the chapter that James will dive into what is the wisdom from above. And for each of these things, for each of these two wisdoms, we're going to talk about the origin. We're going to talk about the characteristics. So what is it like? Like, how do we identify it? And also, we're going to talk about the outcome. What is the end? What's the result of that wisdom? All right, so let's dive into the first one, the wisdom from below. Well, first, we learn from verse 15. Notice there in your Bibles that this wisdom does not descend from, below, uh, from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. The first thing that you want to note down about the wisdom from below is that it's no wisdom at all. It's a false wisdom. It's a pseudo wisdom. It is really no wisdom at all. It is the antithesis or the opposite of godly or true wisdom. There is an appearance of wisdom, but there is a lack of actual power. And why? Why is this the case? Well, because of the origin, because of where it comes from. And we're given, notice, three descriptive words of its original origin. We're told that it's earthly. This doesn't mean that it has to do with like plants and things like that, but the idea is that it's worldly. And when I say earthly or worldly, it's to say, it's to have a perspective, right? A worldly perspective is to live in a way not acknowledging the existence of God. So it's to imagine the world a place that exists outside of the realm and the sovereignty and the existence of God. It's worldly, right? So if someone is worldly or acting in a worldly way, according to the Bible, it's the fact that, man, it's like they're living their life as if God doesn't exist. And so we know that the origin is earthly, meaning it's not heavenly, right? Those are the two options. It's either heavenly or earthly. This one's earthly. It comes from humanity's sinful in nature. We know that it's sensual. And this is kind of an interesting word. This word means that it's natural, but not natural in a good way. Natural meaning it's sinfully natural. It's unspiritual, right? The opposite of natural is spiritual. Those two things are, are kind of contrary to one another. The idea is it's of the flesh, Right, the Bible speaks of kind of two things that are opposed, the flesh and the what? The spirit. And so he says that this is from uh, uh, unspiritual desires. And also we find something very interesting is that the origin is also demonic. The idea is that it is that the devil's got his fingerprints all over this type of what the world would refer to as wisdom. It's demonic. Now, it's interesting looking at these three things, right? James gives these three descriptions, and we know in the rest of Scripture 
that for the believer, that every believer has three enemies. Did you know that? You know, we talk about the enemy as being the devil, but did you know you have two others that you got to watch out for? Every believer has three enemies and they are descriptive right here. The first one we only think about as, oh yeah, the enemy, the, the, the demonic realm. But we also have the flesh, the flesh, the, meaning the sin that still dwells in us. Though we're believers, we still dwell with a sinful body, right? That is the idea of sensual. It's, it's of the flesh. And so that's an enemy. But then also the world, the, the world in its ways and philosophies and perspectives and temptations, that that is another enemy that we deal with. We deal with the demonic forces, our sinful flesh and our sinful world. And we see that's made up that this is who, in a sense, created. This is the origin, the source of this wisdom. Okay, make sense? You guys got it? All right, secondly, let's look at the characteristics. We're told there in verse 14, a couple of the characteristics of this type of, of uh, wisdom. Now, you guys understand the concept of a characteristic, right? So think about like a character, like a character in a movie or a story. If I were to tell you about a certain, hey, tell me about this certain Marvel character. You'd be like, oh, well, this is how he is. This is his powers. This is kind of his, his personality. And you would give me different characteristics regarding that person. Does that make sense? And so when I say characteristics, it's, it's what is this wisdom like? Like, what is the, the personality of this false type of wisdom? Well, we learn first that it's full of bitter envy. Look there in verse 14, that if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, he says, do not boast and lie against the truth. Notice then in verse 16, those things are repeated. Again, he says, for where envy and self-seeking exist. And so these two things are the main characteristics of what this wisdom is. Now, bitter envy. Now, it's kind of a compound type of word, right? Uh, well, it's two words, but it's kind of compound in nature. Where, wait, is it bitter or is it envy? No, it's both. It's, it's bitterness that's created out of a heart of envy. You guys know what it means to be envious of someone or something? Right? It, means, it means not only to be jealous, Right? Jealous, jealousy is one thing. Envy gets to the point of now I, am, I, am, uh, I have malice in my heart towards that person because they have what I want. Jealousy is I want what they want. Envy is a step further. And bitter envy is a step further, further. Okay? Where now that envy that's in your heart has created this bitterness where now you ate now you would be described as a bitter envy person. So when, wherever this wisdom is, that usually is one of the characteristics. But I believe that that kind of idea of, being, of having bitter envy comes out of the second one that's listed, which is self-seeking. See, when we live our lives seeking after ourselves, then what happens when we see people who have what we want, it creates within us a bitter envy, self-seeking. This is the chief, you can note down, this is the chief characteristic of this false wisdom, of this worldly wisdom. It's, it, it is what it's all about, wanting our own way, doing our own thing. And these are, and I want you to think about, these are the typical characteristics of this false wisdom. This false wisdom would say, seek first the kingdom of self 
and all these things shall be added to you. I hope you guys know the verse. This wisdom would say, if you seek to find your life, you will find it. But if you seek to lose your life, you're going to lose it. It is all about numero uno. It is all about number one, yourself. It's about me time. It's about just, you just got to focus on yourself, get the negativity out of your life and, and you're going to be good. And you're going to, if you just really take some time and look internally, you're going to find yourself. That is the type of wisdom that is false wisdom. And it's all self-seeking. Now, what I want you to notice, look at verse 14, all this stuff, this bitter envy and this self-seeking, it's in the heart. I mean, oftentimes this wisdom, it might not have the appearance of bitter envy and self-seeking. It might just be in the heart. And so sometimes even that characteristic is difficult to find, but you'll typically know not just by the characteristic, but also because of the outcome. And we're told the outcome of this wisdom in verse 16. Look there, it says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The, this is the result. This is the outcome of living with this wisdom. Living in a way that denies the existence of God always results in self-seeking. There's no other option. There's only two wisdoms to live by. But this is the end of the first one, confusion and every evil thing. That idea of confusion, it's disorder and chaos. I want you to think about the culture in which we live in that has adopted this wisdom. That it said, Matt, this is the way to live. And it is created in our world disorder, chaos, and confusion. To the point where someone who denies the existence of God doesn't know who they are. So they begin to question, am I in the wrong body? They begin to question their, their identity and who they are because they don't know who they are because they have been so consumed with self. And rather than the, the acknowledgement of the existence of God, they're confused. You see, the reason that our world is in chaos, disorder, and is in confusion because the majority of men and women live by this first wisdom. The problem is that the fruit of it, the outcome is confusion. And then what follows that confusion is every, notice every evil thing, right? And, that, and that's, that's our world today. That out of this confusion, we just start doing insane things like killing babies in the womb. Like even after that, well, well they're only 28 days old. So let's just take their life then. And we start doing insane things where we start making men into women and women into men and we start going nuts. Why? Because the end of this type of wisdom is nothing but confusion and it sets the stage for every evil thing. Now, doesn't that kind of, doesn't that make sense? Like, I love the Bible that it's like, oh, yeah. Like, as I look at our world, yeah, that's the problem. Found it. It's the fact that we live with this type of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, meaning that this wisdom is not from God. 
And the result of not living in godly wisdom is confusion. And God says, man, if you don't live in my wisdom, then you are going to experience confusion. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to make sense. That's why Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Remember, the opposite of wisdom in the Bible is foolishness. And God says the first step to be a fool is to acknowledge that there is and to, to, to say that there is no God. And think about it. If you live, imagine living your life thinking that there was no God. At that point, who are you? Why do you exist? Who says what is right and who's wrong? Why, why, why do we do this the way we do in our society and our culture? And you begin to question everything because there is no absolute. There's no definite. There's no purpose. And so it creates this problem. And as we start to look throughout the Bible, Romans chapter one, verse 21 and 22 says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Man, isn't that incredible? Did you guys catch it? Look on the screen. He says that they knew God, but in their knowledge, they knew it. They refused to acknowledge him as God, and so they became futile. God gave them over to these foolish, dark thoughts, and they professed to be wise. They said, well, we have come to a higher learning. We have come up with our theories and our, and our, and our guesses as to our origin and what created the universe and why we're here. And professing to be wise, they became fools. It's interesting. I really believe, based on this passage and others, that there's no such thing as a genuine atheist. I Meaning you have to have faith to be an atheist. You have to convince yourself and argue yourself and see, and you have to deny the existence of God because I believe that within every human being, God says, I have put eternity in their hearts. I have revealed myself to them and you have to fight against it, but it is the first step to absolute foolishness. You guys can just note down Luke chapter 12, verse 13. We won't turn there today for the sake of time. There's a story though that Jesus tells, and I think it's very um, applicable for what we're talking about today. He talks about this man. He says that there's a certain rich man who uh, had this really great crop this one year, so much so that he's like, oh man, I think I could retire. And so the Bible says that he takes all this crop and he says, oh man, my barns are too small. So he tears down his barns, builds these massive, huge barns, puts all his crop in his barns to be stored there. And he's like, hey, I think I'm going to retire. All right, I'm going to kick. I'm going to kick my feet up, and I'm going to just hang out and chill, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and sweet. Man, I worked my whole life, and finally I made it big. I get my retirement. This has been my goal. I've been working for years. And Jesus said about that man that God would say to him, "Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided?" So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see this man who would get to this point of like, I finally made it. It was all about myself. I worked so hard 
but it would be that very night that God would say, your soul would be required. And all that stuff that he gathered and all the work that he did was for nothing. And Jesus would say, so is he who lays up treasures for himself, but is not rich toward God. You see, the wisdom of the world is poor when it comes to the things of God. They might be rich for themselves, but you see, in eternity, it'll be all for nothing. So that is the wisdom from below. Okay, let's do the same thing with with the wisdom from above. We'll talk about the origin, the characteristics, and the outcome. Okay, so look there, verse 17, he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so uh, we see the origin, uh, and we don't see that in verses 17 and 18, but we do see that in a general sense, right? I asked earlier if if that's the wisdom from above, then the other wisdom, uh, sorry, from below, then the other wisdom is from above. And so the origin we know is from heaven. It's from God himself. This is that heavenly wisdom. And we know that God is the source of all true wisdom and that even Jesus is described as wisdom himself and specifically our wisdom. Look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. He says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so we won't spend much time on this. The origin is clear. One is from the world, the wisdom that you and I want today. We want to be wise and understanding is from above. Okay, that's the origin. You guys got it? Okay, secondly, let's look at the characteristics. There's a handful more that are described And it's in that list in verse 17 that I just read a moment ago. Now, just for the sake of time, we won't get into all the nitty gritty of these. We'll touch on them. But these are the characteristics of true and genuine wisdom, which are very different than bitter envy and self-seeking. And they're described in, in, in more ways so that we really know, okay, this is what wisdom looks like. So if someone were to be walking in the wisdom of God, these are the qualities and the characteristics that would show from their life. And so if there's some of these that uh, are in our life, then there might be some qualities of, of godly wisdom. And if some of these are lacking, then we need some of God's wisdom to help bolster that up. And so first, notice it says that, it, that this wisdom is pure. It's just simply the idea that it's holy, it's innocent. There's no, there's no evil in that, right? There's no self-seeking, there's no bitter envy. It's pure, it's holy. It's also peaceable. This is the idea that it's free from worry. Uh, there's, no, there's not confusion. And we know that in scripture, that just like foolishness is the opposite of wisdom, that the opposite of confusion is actually not just clarity, but it's peace. And the opposite of peace is not just war, but it's confusion according to the Bible. And so this is peaceable. This is this, this kind of freedom from that anxiety, that worry. It's also gentle. It means that it's appropriate. It's considerate. It's, it's, it's thinking about uh, other people. 
Someone once coined gentle as it is to be sweet reasonableness, meaning that, man, we're to be reasonable and gentle with how we deal with people. It was said of Abraham Lincoln before that he was a man of velvet steel. It's the idea that, that Lincoln was unmoved, right, from his purposes, but he was gentle. There was this velvet about him, but there was this strong as steel. That's the very similar, that word gentle is very similar to what we opened up with for that first marker of wisdom of meekness. That, that it's not that there's this weakness, but there's, there's this gentleness, okay? That making sense? Fourth one, willing to yield. This is to be, uh, to kind of be willing to listen, not so stubborn. Um, you guys know what it means to yield, right? So if you met, ever have been driving with your parents and you see a sign that says yield, uh, it doesn't mean stop and it doesn't mean go, but it means, hey, be aware of your surroundings. There's oncoming traffic, so make sure you're, you're willing and, and be willing. Like if they're coming, like let them go. You see, this type of wisdom is not, is not this is my way and this is what I want, but it's, it's, it, there's this willingness to yield. It's full of mercy. It's the idea of compassion, full of good fruits. Good things come out of it. It's without partiality. It's not divisive in what it picks. And it's without hypocrisy, meaning it's genuine, it's sincere, it's real. There's no hidden motives. And so this is, those are the characteristics of the wisdom that you and I all want to live in. All right? Make sense? So that's kind of what it looks like. And then thirdly, and finally, the outcome we're told in verse 18 is righteousness. This is the result of true wisdom. It says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The, the idea is that the fruit of righteousness is that the product of living a life of this type of wisdom is righteousness. Now, righteousness is one of those big church words that we've talked about before, big Bible words um, that can be like, ah, oh, like it's kind of like wisdom of like, I know what it means, but like, I don't know how to define it. Always, when you always hear the word righteousness, think about the first word. What's the first word in righteousness? Right. right, okay? And so to live a righteous life, okay, it's not like someone to like, who's down by, down by the beach and is like, righteous, okay? It, it, righteous is, is the idea of living a life right with God, right? Living a life right according to God's standard. And so if righteousness is produced, it means that, that the product of living with God's wisdom is you're going to, man, you're going to live a life that is right with God. And that's an awesome thing. But this doesn't happen in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere and an environment of confusion. We're told that it's sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness can only be produced in the atmosphere and environment of peace. Remember what we learned about. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author or the originator of confusion, but of peace. That's what God is about. And that's what he wants the outcome to be in our life. You know, everyone wants peace in our world, right? But they don't have it. They don't have it. They're not even close. Why? Because they're using the wrong wisdom. Wisdom and righteousness, they go hand in hand. It is out of a life of wisdom that righteousness and peace exist. A little homework for you guys this week. I want to encourage you. 
uh, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. All right, note that down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, because it's very applicable uh, for what we've talked about today. It talks about the wisdom of God, talks about the wisdom of the world, talks about the foolishness of man and how they think the wisdom of God is foolishness. Essentially, what you're going to learn is that God's wisdom is foolishness to the world, and, and uh, man's wisdom is foolishness to God. They, they are oppositely opposed to one another. But what do we do? Right? That, that's the message. That is, that is James chapter 3. That is, and he, his job was simply to, to make clear, hey, these are the two distinctions. Y'all going to live by one of them. But how about you? I want to live by the second. I don't, I don't want that, that experience of getting to eternity and realizing that all my efforts were for myself and it all was for nothing. There's no benefit. You know, you'll, you'll never find a U-Haul behind a hearse. You just don't find it. Meaning you're not taking anything with you when you die. They, they're, all the stuff you might accumulate, which is the, right? All, all the wisdom of the world is just an accumulation of wealth and stuff and, and it's all about self. But you're not taking anything with you. The Bible says that naked we came into this world and naked we will go out. Meaning that we must lay up our treasures in heaven. But we need God's wisdom to do that. And so how, where do we go to get this wisdom? Do we take a class? Do we enroll in an online course on wisdom? Do we try to find like a wisdom guru to pay to teach us the true way of wisdom? No. We should go right to the source. We should go to the giver of that wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. Our, we go back to our very first study and we kind of come f- full circle here. If you remember in that very first study of the book of James... James said in the, in the context of trials that if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Are you going through something in your life right now that you, you're just having difficulty navigating? Maybe it's a relationship uh, at home. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's some drama at school. Maybe, maybe it's just dynamics that I'm not even listing, but you're like, man, I just, I just need to know what to do. That's wisdom. You need to know what to do. You need God's wisdom because you could go the route of the wisdom of the world and you just look at a situation like, how does this best fit me? When the wisdom of God says, how does this best fit for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom? There is this higher perspective, a higher motivation bigger than yourself. And God says, if you need that, if you lack that and you don't know what to do, God says, ask me. God says, I'm ready to give to you. Notice he describes it in two ways, liberally and without reproach. Now, often we think of like that word liberal and we just think of something bad, okay? But liberally is, is not, it's, a, it's a good thing. It, it is to be generous and without reserve. God is essentially saying, I'm not going to run out of wisdom and I'm ready to give it to you. He says, I'll give it to you without reproach, meaning that God will have no criticism. He's not going to look at you and say, oh man, here's, here's, here she is again asking for wisdom and needs help. 
No. God says it's without reproach. There's no strings attached. There's no hidden fees and taxes. You just come to me in faith, without doubting. And God says, I will give to you the wisdom you need to live a life that will produce righteousness. And so, moment, I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to ask God for that wisdom. Maybe, maybe you've never asked God for wisdom before. Maybe think about it in your own mind right now. When was the last time that you asked God, genuinely just asked him simply, God, would you give me wisdom in this situation? When was the last time? That's between you and God. Either way, we need to ask afresh every day for God's wisdom. wisdom. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. So I'll pray and then we'll, we'll give you that opportunity. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the clarity of your word. That we can look through the lens of your Bible and, and see clearly what's happening in our culture and we can see the reason why. And maybe in our own life, maybe we're experiencing confusion. Things feel out of order. Things feel in disarray, chaotic. Lord, I know that you do not want that outside chaos and confusion to make its way into our mind and our heart. That you seek to to protect us with your peace. And so maybe you would, you would be calling a student who's experiencing that confusion, that chaos, that disorder in their own heart and mind, and you would say to them, I want to give you wisdom. Lord, we don't want to look to anything else or anyone else, but want to come to you today. And so we thank you for, for even offering us that invitation and, and being there for us. God, we know that you're a helper, you're a comforter. And so if today, if, if God has been stirring your heart by his word and you know, and, and you, would, you were to say today, man, I, I need that wisdom. I need a fresh filling of the wisdom of God to navigate my life, the things that I'm going to go home to, the, the things that are ahead in this week. And you would say, man, I, I, I lack wisdom and I want the wisdom of God. I want you to just stand to your feet. If that's you today, this is not for salvation this is, not, this is just saying, I, I need the wisdom of God in my life. I want you to stand to your feet. Don't, don't stand because everyone's standing. Stand because you're saying, I want this. I, I don't want that confusion. I don't want that chaos. I want the peace and the righteousness of God to flow through my life. You stand to your feet. Well, let's pray. You, you repeat after me, okay? Again, this is, not, this, is not salva- this is not a salvation prayer. This is just saying, God, I need wisdom, okay? So I want you guys to say out loud, God, I am here before you, and I confess my lack of wisdom, and I desire to have your wisdom. I need you all the time, God in my home, my school, my friends. God, I want the characteristics of wisdom to be lived out in my life, of, pure, of purity, of peaceableness, 
of gentleness, being willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Lord, grant me this wisdom today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. It's awesome. Let me give some, some claps to that. Listen, for, for those of you guys can all stand. For those of you that, that, that genuinely prayed that prayer and that was out of faith, right, and not out of just repetition, uh, don't think like you're going to go and play pool after service and have this incredible ability to see the angles and know exactly, okay? But listen, God, God is, a, is faithful to his word. And so if you have asked him for wisdom, then, then when you get home and there's something going on, you, you remind yourself, okay, God, what do I do here? And you rely on him. This is a continual prayer to be prayed. Tomorrow, you wake up tomorrow morning, you keep praying it. God, you told me if I, if I need you, you're going to be there. So God, would you give me your wisdom today?